0: So, once you found Isaiah chapter 10, if you would look at verse 20, we'll read down through verse 27 uh, by way of introduction. And you're welcome to stand at this time for the reading of God's Word. If you're able to, we request that you stand. And we'll read from 20 down through 27. The Bible says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them. But shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return unto the remnant of Jacob, uh, unto the Mighty God. For uh, thou, or rather, for thou, thy people Israel, uh, be as the sand of the sea; yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption degreed, decreed shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts. Shall make a consumption, uh, even determine in the midst of all the land. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of hosts O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt. For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and mine anger. In their destruction, and the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge uh, for him according to the slaughter of Midian of the rock of Oreb. And as his rod was upon the sea, so shall he lift it up upon the manor of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day that the burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. And so we'll go back and look again at this title, The Proud Punished and the Humble Humble Honored. The Proud Punished and the Humble Honored. This is something we know from the book of James. And we'll look at the book of James tonight a little bit. Uh, but uh, this truth has been true going all the way back to the existence of humanity. God punishes the proud. And he honors the humble. Let's pray tonight. Lord, help us tonight to be reminded of the importance of having a heart filled with humility. Lord, pride, like a cancer, like a disease, it creeps up within us and it wants to take over. And it wants to, in a lot of ways, choke out and uh, and try to destroy steps we've made to grow in you and be the uh, Christians that you want us to be. And, Lord, pride is always a nasty thing. So, Lord, as we look at it tonight... Help us to be able to identify it in our our own hearts, and Lord, help us to confess it, forsake it, and Lord, uh, embrace humility. Help us to be clothed in humility. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, the um, ten northern tribes of Israel would break away in rebellion from Rehoboam's tax. He attempted to raise taxes where his father had them already high. He tried to make them higher. And Jeroboam uh, was put in charge of the ten northern tribes of Israel. And Rehoboam would stay in charge of what would be called Judah. And uh, Judah would go back and forth and have some kings that were good guys that loved the Lord and some kings that weren't so good and loved the Lord. But every single king the ten northern tribes of Israel had, every single one of them did that which was evil In the sight of the Lord. And what we learn is that their their whole country, while they were God's chosen people, their whole country was lifted up in pride and rebellion against God. And uh, it reached a point where God was not going to take it anymore from them. He had uh, extended long suffering and care. Uh, long enough, and God was going to send in an army that was just going to absolutely carry them away into captivity and annihilate them and their country. In fact, the ten northern tribes of Israel would be scattered abroad, Assyria, and the closest they would ever come to being um, reassembled would be the Samaritans, which were half Assyrian and half uh, Jews. But they would never, ever totally uh, come back again. God would allow them to be scattered because of their wickedness, and He would not turn back. So let's go back and review the pride of these various groups of people and how God handled that pride. And we'll see one group tonight, one, we'll focus in on one group tonight that turns from their pride and chooses humility. So, um, on the back of your prayer bulletin there, you'll see the blanks that we've already covered are filled in. But let's go back over it here together. We began by looking at number one, Israel's arrogance. Israel's arrogance, and when we talk about Israel specifically, we're talking about those ten northern tribes. And so, look back with me at uh, chapter number 9, and look at verse number 12. Chapter number 9, and verse number 12. We saw that their country would be ruined. It says there, the Syrians before, and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth their country will be ruined and then we find this phrase four times uh, in the in the in, uh, three times in this chapter and once in chapter 10 the beginning of chapter 10 look there it says for all this his anger is not turned away but his hand is stretched out still i believe that there can be a point where a Christian runs from God in his pride and in his stubbornness and in his arrogance and God punishes and there's no remorse or no change. And then so God punishes again and again and again. And if you are lost, uh, you, you can reach a point of no return. You can reach a point in your running from God where he shuts off uh, even an opportunity for you to be saved because you've ran from him and ran from his call of sal- uh, repentance to salvation. If you are saved, you can run from God and run from God and run from God to a point where uh, God will turn you over to the consequences of sin and allow sin to run its course in your life and bring you to. I will say, an early grave. And uh, it will take you to heaven that much earlier. And so the application here is that arrogance left unchecked. Arrogance that is not repented from. Arrogance that is allowed to run its course in our life. It will lead to ruin. But not only did it lead to their country being ruined, it left to their leaders being removed. Look down with me at verse number 13. It says, For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and rush in one day. The ancient and honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is... The tale. He says, after I have sent the Syrians in to ransack your country and ruin your country, the next wave, if you don't repent, is I'm going to totally remove your political leaders and I'm going to totally remove your false prophets. You'll have no spiritual leadership. You'll have no political leadership because of your arrogance and your pride. Anarchy will begin to set in, and then it will be the people rule. It will be every man doing that which was right in their own eyes. And so we see what arrogance brings. It brings ruin. It brings removal of leaders, which leads to Chaos to chaos. Look down at verse number seventeen. The end of verse number seventeen it says, "For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still." Um, Then we saw letter C. Their senseless rage. Their senseless rage. Look at verse number twenty-one. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not. Turned away, uh, but his hand is stretched out still. And I made the point uh, two or three weeks ago that Manasseh and Ephraim were the children of Joseph. Manasseh and Ephraim were as close as two tribes could be but what will happen in this time of God's wrath being poured down on Israel in their rebellion is that even Manasseh will go after Ephraim and Ephraim will go after Manasseh now we don't have any recording in scripture or even secular history of these two at a full blown civil war but no doubt there was a Folks from both tribes at each other's throat. And the only thing that would unite Israel from killing each other was the greater, if you will, scare quote, quote greater cause of, of attacking the, their brother Judah down to the south. And so they would come together to fight Judah. But outside of that, there would be a senseless rage where they're attacking each other and they're at war with their own brother. And you see, arrogance always leads to contention Pride leads to strife and contention. You show me two people who are having a hard time getting along, I promise you, promise you, at least one of them has a pride problem and probably both of them have a pride problem. I have seen some situations where uh, there was a strife in a relationship and uh, one of them did not seem to have a pride problem, but the other one had enough pride to go around for both of them. But usually, usually when there is strife in a relationship, when there is contention in a relationship, there is pride that is bringing about that strife. Brothers and sisters Will fight. Husbands and wives will fight. Children and parents will fight. Employers and employees will fight. Neighbors will fight. Uh, And uh, you, you see this fight break out in all sorts of avenues, in all sorts of ways. Only by pride cometh contention. Where there is contention, it only comes by pride. I know that is an absolute statement, but God's Word is absolutely correct. And uh, there is there is a senseless rage. I uh, At times when my wife and I have bickered and argued and fought, uh, we don't ever do that anymore. Amen. That's not true. Um, but that's a joke. Uh, but uh, when we have bickered and argued uh, and fought, I have gotten past that or gotten away from it and had some time to cool down and think. And you know, one thought I think is there is no one on planet earth I love more than my wife. Why? Why? Am I fighting with my wife? You know why? Because of senseless rage brought on by arrogance. Arrogance. Why do you fight with anyone in your life? Because of senseless rage that's brought on by selfishness. Arrogance. Only by pride cometh contention. In the last letter, D, we saw under Israel's arrogance, we saw their judges So look back at chapter 10 with me. It's good to have this review. Chapter 10, look at verse number 1. Let's read all four verses here. The first four verses. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees. These are the judges, uh, the judicial system of Israel. And they write grievousness which they have uh, uh, prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right "...from the poor of My people that widows... "...may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless." The judicial system had gotten so corrupt that the poor and widowed and needy and fatherless were being taken advantage of. And uh, there was a running roughshod over this crowd. Verse 3, "...and what will ye do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help, and where will ye leave your glory?" We looked at those three questions. Uh, Without me, they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. And there's that phrase again. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And what is being said here is there's going to be a day where the judges will have to face the ultimate judge. The judges will have to give an account to the judge of God in heaven. And where will your pride be then when you are called on the carpet and you are held accountable for your arrogance and for your corruption and for all of the things that you did that hurt people who were needy and poor, uh, hurt people who were the most vulnerable of culture. There you are with your rulings and there you are. But one day, the God of heaven will judge you. And where will your arrogance be In that moment. Now, I don't think we have any judges in the room that work for our court system. I don't think we have any judges that attend our church, it would not be politically expedient in the current political format in America, the political culture, to attend an independent Baptist church and then go sit on the bench. You'd probably get ridiculed uh, for that. So that's probably a part of why you don't see any here. But can I just say this uh, briefly here? All of us here are judges of something in some way. How many of you here oversee somebody or a group of somebody's at work. People are accountable to you within your work. Would you hold up your hand? Then that means you're a judge. How many of you here have either a a wife or you have children, uh, this is uh, men, wives, and children, women, children, how many of you have a wife or have children you oversee at home? Hold up your hand for me. Then guess what? You are a judge. One day if you're running roughshod and you're not taking that responsibility properly and you're not doing your duty uh, to lead the way Christ would, the way God would, God is going to hold you accountable. I think of the passage in the New Testament that tells children uh, to make sure that they obey their parents because their parents will one day give an account for how they uh, stewarded that responsibility all power, Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All power belongs to the Lord, and any judging that we do belongs to the Lord, and we will one day give an account to Him for how we handle that. Don't abuse that power. Israel was arrogant, and Israel was destroyed because... Of their arrogance. And then we turn to the nation of Assyria. Assyria. And we saw number two, Assyria's ambition. Assyria's ambition. Uh, quickly here, notice letter A, God's ultimate purpose. And we'll forego some of the reading here. Um, and I raised the question when we looked over this, I raised this question Is it fair for God to give Assyria the responsibility of bringing Israel into captivity and then God to punish? Uh, Assyria, for bringing Israel into captivity? And the answer to that question is obviously no. No, that wouldn't be uh, a just for a nation to be obedient to God's command, and then God punished them for being obedient. And so what happened here? Because Assyria enslaved the Israelites. They went in and they wiped out those ten northern tribes, and then God turns around and He punishes Assyria, and if you just do a cursory reading or a service reading, it may appear that God punished Assyria unfairly, but we know that God never does anything that is unfair. God is just and right in everything He does. So, what was God's ultimate purpose? God's ultimate purpose laid out in chapter 10, verses 5 and 6, was only for them to go in and enslave Israel, but Assyria had ambition of doing far more than that. In fact, when Assyria was done with Israel, they wanted to be what we'll call expansionists. They weren't content with Israel. Boy, they had the taste of blood in their mouth. They wanted more. And so they descended upon Judah. And they had a conquering world aspiration to begin to take over other countries, sort of the way that Hitler did in the European theater in World War II, where it's one country... After the next, boy, Assyria wanted to do that as well, and God said, whoa, hold on a minute here, that's not my ultimate purpose, letter B, we see their unchecked passion. Their unchecked passion. They had a passion uh, to go well beyond just Israel and conquer Judah. While Judah would be conquered one day by Babylon, it was not yet God's time. and, uh, And Assyria failed to understand that. They pushed through God's Stop sign. Sometimes Christian God gives us responsibilities and He wants us to step up and handle things for them. It's important we know where those boundaries and limitations are. Uh, one of the boundaries and limitations that I have uh, uh, firmed up very strong in my mind is the understanding that while I oversee uh, the spiritual care of the people of White Oak Baptist Church, I, I'm not to stick my nose in someone's business that does not attend this church. Because that's not my business. I've had someone come to me and say, well, did you hear about uh, brother such and such or sister such and such? And I say, who? Oh, well, they go to such and such church uh, over in, in the next town over. And I say, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pray for them, but that's really none of my business. That's none of my business. Amen? Uh, that's that pastor's business. Have you gone and told that pastor, or are you just trying to be a gossip? Right? We need to know where our boundaries are. Um, Matthew and April, when they were really little, we were part of another church, and after church on a Sunday morning, we were in a, in a space where our pastor was greeting guests and whatnot, and it was probably about 30 minutes after church was over. Almost everyone was gone on a Sunday morning, and Matthew and April were probably five and three years old, and they start running up and down this long hallway. Well, again, it's me and Angela, Matthew and April, and it's uh, my pastor and his wife. That's it. And there's no one else around, and uh, we're in an office area and, and running up and down the hallway. Well, this lady, who is probably about 65 years old, she come, I'm not picking on 65-year-olds, amen? If you're 65, th- I thank God for you. All right, my mom is 60, Amen. And so, nothing wrong with being 65. But this lady was a cranky 65. And that's not okay, All right, You need to be sweet. God calls us to be kind one to another, whether you're 25, 65, or 105. And this lady came around the corner, and she saw Matthew running down the hall, and boy, she lit... We were standing right there. She lit him up. Boy, don't you know you don't run in church? And I mean, for about two minutes, she just let him have it. And he's, you know, five years old, and he gets tears running down his cheeks. And, and I'm back there. I'm holding Angela back. She said, let me go. I'm going to get her. I'm going to get her. I said, settle down. It's okay. You know why that lady, she was running through a stop sign. These weren't her grandkids. or her. The, the, these weren't her kids or her grandkids. Here she is rep- reprimanding my kids. But you know what? We showed her grace. And lo and behold, I'm using her as a sermon illustration tonight. So... I uh, won't use her name, amen? Uh, but um, uh, we need to know where our limitations are. Here, Assyria did not understand what their limitation was. God said, I'm going to use you to conquer Israel. Stop right there. And they didn't. And then we see the king's unseemly pride. Look with me at verse number 12. And I think this bears a repeating. I was rather rushed when we got to this part of the Bible study last time. So let's uh, let's slow down and and notice Here, how arrogant and proud the king of Assyria is. It says, wherefore, chapter 10, 12, wherefore it shall come to pass that when the Lord hath performed his whole work upon Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, I will punish the fruit of the stout, or that same word is translated in other places, proud, the stout heart of the king of Assyria and the glory of his high looks. You see the arrogance see there, the pride, the Arrogance, that's what God is going to punish. Look here, for he, the king, saith, by the strength of my hand have I done it, and by my wisdom, for I am prudent, and I have removed the bounds of the people, and have robbed their treasures, and I I have put down the inhabitants like a valiant man. Don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back here, buddy. 14, in my hand uh, hath found as a nest the riches of the people and as one gathereth the eggs that are left have i gathered all the earth and there was none that moved the wing or opened the mouth or peeped shall and and then here's what uh, god has to say back to his arrogance look at 15 shall the axe boast itself against him that heweth therewith or shall uh, the saw magnify itself against him that shaketh it as if the rod shall shake it against themselves that lift it up or as if the staff shall lift itself um, as it were no wood. And I talked about last time uh, the importance of understanding that we are a tool in the master's hand and the master gets the credit. But let me take it another direction this evening, a slightly different direction. Just like the tool should not boast about a job that's well done, a tool also should not be in rebellion to what the master wants it to use it to do. Uh, in my, in my uh, garage at my home, I've turned half of my garage into a woodworking shop. And compared to uh, Brother Greer, I'm very much an amateur at what I do, but I enjoy what I do. Um, a couple of years ago, I cut my finger with the uh, uh, table saw and went out and got another one. I won't go into details because uh, I'll send my wife back into shock, amen? Uh, so we won't talk about any of that. But you know what I don't want that saw to do? I don't want it to slow down and speed up based on its own will. I want it to run at the speed I want it to run at. And when I send a piece of wood through it, I expect it to do exactly as I choose for it to do. And I have a router that I use. And when I get that router out and I set the depth that I want that, uh, that blade to plunge down into the wood, I don't want it to say to itself, you know what, I, I think I want to run an inch deeper right now. Or, you know what, I I just don't feel like plunging at all today. I'm I'm just going to sit right here. He can push down on that all he wants. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, You know, uh, tools like that, um, nobody wants to work with tools that have a mind of their own. And I'm afraid oftentimes as Christians, we're like those tools that have a mind of their own. We'll serve God when we're ready to serve God. We'll go to church when we're ready to go to church. We'll read our Bible and pray when we feel like reading our Bible and pray. We'll hand out a gospel track when it's convenient to hand out a gospel track. And I'm in that right mood. And God is saying here, he's saying, uh, hey, king of Assyria, uh, he's saying, when I tell you to conquer a country, conquer a country. And when I tell you to stop, it's time to stop. Oh, well, no, I'll do whatever I want. And God says... No, sir. No, sir. I am the master craftsman. You are my tool. You do what I say. And he bows up in pride and says, I'll do what I want. I'll do it when I want to do it, and then I'll take all the credit for it. The king's unseemly pride, letter D, we see their unforeseen punishment, their unforeseen punishment. Now, this is not, we didn't get a chance to spend any time on, on this point uh, last week. And I had told you that there was prophetic implications possibly yet to be fulfilled. A double prophecy here in chapter 10. So let's look at that double prophecy right here. Look at chapter 10 and look at verse 16 and let's read down through verse 19. It says, Therefore shall the Lord, um, uh, the Lord of hosts, send among his fat ones leanness, and a, and under his glory he shall kindle a burning Like the burning of a fire. And the light of Israel shall be for a fire. And his holy one for a flame. And it shall burn and devour his thorns and his briars in one day. And notice that phrase, one day. And shall consume the glory of his forest and his fruitful fields, both soul and body. And they shall be as when a standard bearer fainteth. And the rest of the trees of his forest shall be few that a child may write with them. What's being prophesied here about Assyria is that in one day, in one day, you're going to go from having all your glory to being utterly destroyed. Utterly destroyed. Did that happen? It sure did. Assyria would end up being wiped out and wiped out suddenly and uh, wiped out sensationally. Many Bible scholars believe that this is also a prophecy about the day of the Lord when Jesus returns with um, uh, the host of the church-age saints and meets up with the Assyrians of the world in the valley of Megiddo, wherein one day he will wipe them out, and in one day he will establish his kingdom. Look up uh, with me at uh, chapter 10 and uh, verse number 28, and let's read down to the end of the chapter. It says, He has come to Aeth, and he has passed to Migron at Micmash, he hath laid up his uh, carriages. Uh, by the way, before I continue to read, starting with Aeth. If you look at an old map, we're starting north of Jerusalem, and we're working our way through the cities that we can possibly plot and map out. Some of these places we're unsure of their location, but of the ones we can, there is a working from north of Israel. It's believed that the uh, the opposition against Jesus there in uh, uh, Revelation where he fights the uh, last battle there um, uh, at the end of the tribulation. It's believed the enemies will come from the north and they'll work their way down to the valley of Megiddo. This seems to be laying out a map in 28 of that journey down to that valley where they will be destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, 28 He has come to Aeth. He has passed to Migron at Michmash. He has laid up his carriages. They are gone over the passage. They have taken up their lodging at Geba. Ramah is afraid. Gibeah of Saul is fled. Lift up thy voice, O daughter of Galam. Cause it to be heard unto Laish O poor uh, Anathoth, Anna Madmena is removed. The inhabitants of Gebam gathered themselves to flee. And uh, as yet shall he remain at Nob that day. He shall shake his hand against the mount of the daughter of Zion. Many believe that speaking of the Antichrist, the hill of Jerusalem. Because the Lord, the Lord of hosts, shall lop the bow with terror. And the high ones of stature shall be Hewn down, and the haughty shall be humbled. He shall um, uh, and he shall cut down the thickets of the forest with iron, and Lebanon shall fall by a mighty one. So this is a prophecy, yes about the fall of Assyria for their overextension of of power against Judah and a desire to be expansionist. But beyond just a a prophecy that was fulfilled in Isaiah's day, many believe that this is a double prophecy pointing to the return of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as He comes to earth to set up His kingdom. Uh, Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm chapter 59 and verse number 12. Psalm chapter 59. Now again, tonight, while it's always fun to, to dip our, our toe in prophecy, tonight the purpose is not to necessarily uh, parse prophecy. It's to talk about pride and humility. Look at 59.12. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips... Let them even be taken in their pride, and for cursing and lying which they speak. Um, God knows the pride that's in our heart. Miss Marcia has been doing a, a series of lessons for our ladies on Sunday morning about pride, and she's named it Breaking Pride. And I asked the life group leaders that are not teaching through a set of curriculum that has been pre-assigned, I've asked them to email their notes to me so I can uh, just have my pulse on what's being taught uh, throughout our church. And so I've had a chance to review uh, Miss Marcia's notes. And one thing that's become abundantly clear to me as I've reviewed these notes is that I think all of us have more pride within us than we even realize. Um, pride bows up in ways and places that many of us don't even quite understand. We're arrogant, we're proud, and it's our nature because we're sinners. And, and, and while we're going to battle with it to the grave, we ought to battle with it. We ought to work to defeat it. Anytime there is contention, it should not be in our head, what did the other person do wrong, how was the other person proud? It ought to be, how did I contribute with pride that's caused this contention? Here, Israel and Assyria were so lifted up in pride, they were drunk on it. God says, pride is a sin that I hate. I'm going to destroy you if you don't destroy the pride within you. Why does God hate pride? Well, I think most of us in here probably can answer that question. But indulge me for a moment. God hates pride because pride robs God of His glory. Well, is God... Is God justified in wanting glory? Yes. He's God. God made us in His image and His likeness and in the Garden of Eden when that was all fine and dandy. We knew the pecking order of things when it was Adam and Eve. But once sin entered into the heart of man, man has desired to be their own God and to buck God's authority. And pride is how we describe that right there. No one will tell me what to do. I will do what I want. I will not do what God wants. Now, we're not bold enough to put it in those words on a daily basis, but every time that we know what God's word says to do and we don't do it, you know what that comes back to? Pride. I will do what I want because that's what makes me comfortable. My friend, God hates pride. He hates it. Now, I'm thankful we serve a God that's long-suffering and forbearing and forgiving. But we would do ourselves a lot of favor if we would learn how to deal with our pride. Before we move on to number three, we're almost done here. Turn over to James chapter 4 with me. James chapter 4. Let's look at a passage that regular churchgoers, are a good chance you have this memorized. Uh, But I find that it's good to go back to passages like this and um, read them slowly. Sometimes when I have a verse memorized, I go right over the verse and I I don't even get the meaning because it's memorized. It just, you know, just surfaced. It just runs over my lips and through my head. Let's take a moment and and sort of emotionally and mentally absorb these two verses. Look at verse 6. James 4, verse 6. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know why there was no turning back for Israel and Assyria? They were so drunk on pride, there was no room for grace. God does not give grace to someone who's proud. To the degree that you're proud, to that same degree, um, uh, uh, rather to the degree you're humble, to that degree you get grace. And many of us have some grace, uh, uh, humility in us. The goal is to increase the amount of humility so God can increase His grace toward us. Look down at verse number 10. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. You know what's so hard? is that when I do finally get myself humble, the Lord lifts me up. And then I get up here, and I'm looking around. Oh! Look where I'm at! Oh! And God looks into my heart and says, Did you forget how you got there? I put you there, because at one point you were humble. But now you're not humble. Whoop! He pulls out the, you know... Pulls out the floor beneath my feet, and down we crash. I um, heard someone say one time, be humble or be humiliated. You get to pick. Be humble or be humiliated. And how many times in my life has God allowed me to be humiliated? How many times has God, how many you'd there's some time in my life God has allowed me to be humiliated? Yep, yep. Why? Because we're lifted up in pride. When we learn to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He sees us in that abased state and He lifts us up. You know, God likes to use people to accomplish things for His work who the average man would think he or she could never do that. When God says, well, watch this. I'll get all the glory. And the goal here is uh, is to humble ourselves. You know, someone defined humility this way. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. Not thinking of yourself at all. Let's look at number three. Lastly, Judah's awakening. Judah's awakening. Letter A, let's look at their dependence. Their dependence. Go back to Isaiah chapter number 10. We know from uh, looking at King... um, Ahaz, that he had made alliances with um, Egypt, Second Chronicles tells us this, and with Assyria. He was so scared of the alliance between Israel and the nation of Syria. Israel and Syria had come together to come down and attack Judah. And uh, Ahaz said, whoa, I need help. And Isaiah came to him and said, no, 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 you have the Lord. You don't need other help. And he said, oh, no, I, I'm not going to turn to the Lord because I've got my own alliances. Well, what were his alliances? It was the nation of Assyria and the nation of Egypt. And Assyria signed this phony pact with him to help him and then Assyria would take over Israel and then come down and persecute uh, Judah and even take some of their people into slavery up until and through some portion of the reign of Hezekiah so they were dependent not on the Lord they were dependent on these other countries to politically save them look at back at chapter 10 and look at verse number 20 here and we see a shift a shift look at 20 and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, this is of those who would be enslaved, and such are escaped of the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, or depend upon him that smote them, but shall stay, or depend upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In truth. he What is it saying? What's it saying here in verse 20 is there's going to come a day when some of the house of Jacob goes from depending on these folks who are now enslaving them and they take their dependence off of them and they put their dependence on on the lord you know what we call that we call that repenting from arrogance and turning to humility it's it's repenting from my own logic and my own reasoning that i can do it and i can get alliances where i can't do it and saying lord it's always been about you and i can't do it without you without you i can do nothing that's what the christian life is about It's ceasing to depend on you and others to get you through. And it's turning to the Lord and saying, If you don't carry me through today, I can't. I just can't. Look down at 21. The remnant. Those who are escaping the captivity. Those... Uh, few that have turned the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob unto the mighty God. For thou, thy people, Israel, uh, be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant, just a portion of them shall return. The consumption degree shall overflow with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption or a destruction even determined in the midst of all the land. So there's going to be a group of people while they have been punished for their arrogance, they turn to the Lord. I Quickly, I think of the thief on the cross who one gospel describes him as mocking Jesus, and then another gospel says he turned to Jesus. Well, which one's accurate? And the answer is both of them are. You see, the thief in his arrogance started out mocking Jesus, and then he realized this man is who he says he is. And he turned from his arrogance... And in humility, he said, Lord, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. And my friend, every day, we need to look at the Lord and say, Lord, I can't do this today. Remember me. Remember me. I'm not going to stay on myself. I'm not going to stay on uh, my network and my friends. I'm not going to depend, stay on these things. Lord, I'm depending on you. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you and allow you to, to direct my path. Letter B, notice their deliverance. Their deliverance. Look down at verse number 24. Therefore thus saith the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwellest in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite thee with a rod, and shall lift up his staff against thee after the manner of Egypt, for yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease. And mine anger in their Destruction and the Lord of hosts shall stir up a scourge for them for him according to the slaughter of Midian at the rock of Oreb. And, and, uh, and as his rod upon the sea so shall he lift it up uh, uh, after the manner of Egypt. This is speaking of how God will uh, hurt or destroy Assyria and it shall come to pass in that day that his Assyrian burden shall be uh, taken away from off thy shoulder and his yoke from off Thy neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Because you've turned to me, because you now are staying on me, I will deliver you from this enemy. Why? Because at the end of the day, the armies of the world, the the people of the world, uh, everything of this world, everything that we know is controlled by God. And and when, and what what do we learn here? That God can take any set of circumstances. And he can use them to bring us to him. And then when he gets us where he wants us, he can cause it to stop. I finish with this. You know the story of Job, right? Job uh, allowed was allowed by Satan to... Uh, rather, God allowed Satan to hurt Job and take away everything from him. Even his own wife uh, left him and told him to curse God and die. And his friends came and, and uh, were just awful with him. And Job gets to, uh, the, you get to the end of the book of Job... And the Bible says this. It says, when he prayed for his friends, that's when God gave him everything back. You know what praying for his friends represented? It represented humility. It represented forgiveness. And when we get humble, that's when God begins to bless us. He begins to lift us up. He honors us when we're humble. He punishes us when we're proud. If you feel as though you're experiencing the hand of God's punishment in your life right now, you need to deal with your pride. You need to deal with your pride. If you feel as though you're under the blessings of God, it may be you still need to deal with your pride, and God will give you even more blessings as you get more and more pride pushed out of your life. But let's work this week to be humble before a holy God. Amen? Let's stand together. And we'll be dismissed with the word of prayer. The word of God encouraged you tonight, it challenged you tonight, and I hope you have a better understanding of Isaiah 9 and 10. We'll be looking at chapter 11 beginning next week, and uh, rather, I apologize, not next week. Next week for Wednesday night, we're not having services. We will be streaming, um, we will be giving you a link on our Facebook page to the services our staff will be at at a conference down in New Jersey. So we won't be having anything on the property uh, next Wednesday And so make sure you mark that on your calendar. But in two weeks, uh, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 11. All right, let's be dismissed with the word of prayer. Let's ask God to give us his hand of blessing on us as uh, we go tonight. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a Bible that's perfect. And Lord, Isaiah 9 and 10 were not written to us. They were written to Israel. But Lord, the principles of pride and humility are still so very applicable to our everyday life. And just like Israel, Assyria, and Judah were punished because of their pride, Lord, daily, regularly, you punish us because of ours. And so, Lord, help us to get that pride out of our system. Lord, help us to be humble. Help us to be clothed in humility. Lord, deal with us this week. Lord, when we have those moments that are proud, put your finger on them in our heart. And uh, Holy Spirit of God, point them out. And then, Lord, help us to be willing to confess and forsake. And, Lord, get to a place of humility. Be with us tonight. Keep it safe as we travel home. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night.